Blog Talk Radio. There's some dangerous large uh, carnivore out there. Yeah, I saw that bird pick a young deer off the road and fly away. And uh, it was just about getting dark, and we started panicking, running down the bridge, not really having any clue what was throwing rocks in our vicinity, good-sized rocks. And uh, I stopped long enough to get a 357 out of my backpack and looked back, and that's when I thought I saw one. actually attacked two railroad workers, uh, killed livestock, you know, just a lot of weird stuff that was going on. www.squatchcoffee.com and you can find us on Facebook. Um, look this week, we're going to have a couple uh, new commercials that a friend of mine, a friend of mine, did for the Sasquatch Coffee Company. Todd and Diane Neese both uh, um, were down in the the uh, British Virgin Isles with Ron Moorhead and Carrie and a couple other friends of theirs, and they actually took some time on a on a deserted desert island and uh, made a series of Sasquatch coffee commercials and I've I've seen the first couple and there's there's one more coming I believe and uh, they're awesome so thanks Todd and Diane and Ron and Carrie and and uh, your friends that were with you that uh, for taking the time to do those there I think people will get a kick out of them so um, as with me as always is my good friend and Bigfoot Researcher extraordinaire Shane Corson. Hey Shane, how you doing? Doing great, Gunner. Doing well. I uh, was trying to keep uh, cool with this uh, this uh, little uh, bit of a heat wave that we're having. Yeah, it's um, of course it's ninety in Portland and about fifty nine on the coast. So <laughs> when, it, yeah. when it gets warm up in Portland, the fog sucks in here. So. But we've actually seen a little bit of sun today, and um, I had the opportunity to drive um, in the coast. Or I came in, the, went to Eugene yesterday, and and uh, yeah, I got to feel the heat all right. It's a little uh, unusual for this time of year. It's a little warmer than we're used to. Um, what 
you were out uh, actually doing a little bigfooting this weekend among with uh, among other things. How was that? Oh yeah, yeah. It was a uh, you know I tried to get out of the 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 real heat and uh, didn't quite avoid to do that, but uh, it was still enjoyable. Uh, both uh, went on a little um, fishing, camping slash you know bigfooting adventure down by Brighton Bush River. Um, up by Detroit Lake here in Oregon, and uh, there was a checking out a few old uh, Bigfoot reports in that area while I was uh, fishing and whatnot, and uh, did a lot of hiking and found some really uh, uh, new areas I wanted to explore, and uh, so it was a lot of fun. I, I, like I was telling you earlier, I got to see my first um, river otter. I was out fishing and I was kind of hunkered down, just uh, enjoying the early morning hours, and this river otter came down and he was just doing spins and circles and. Uh, he totally missed me. He did not notice I was there until he got about, I don't know, uh, 15 feet away. And then he, he turned on his back and was floating down the river and looked right up at me and kind of gave me a, kind of gave this weird look and then ducked under the water. But it was, uh, it was, it was pretty cool little, uh, little moment. That's cool. He gave you the old crap look. <laughs> yeah. Like, Oh, like, wow. Hey. wow. How'd I, how'd I miss you? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah. Uh, good stuff. Yeah. Well, I didn't. I wasn't able to really get out and do any bigfooting this weekend, but uh, uh, we were out uh, last weekend. I, I was uh, up. You know, we spent time out in uh, near Mount Adams, and then then uh, was able to go out overnight of, in, uh, on Saturday night in in our research area with with uh, Larry and um, Jess and. Um, Susan came with me, so we we had a good time. Didn't have it. It was it was a quiet uh, night up there. Didn't hear anything really squatchy, but but uh, still had a good time. It was always fun to go out. You know, the worst case scenario is you get to go out and, and be in the woods and enjoy nature. So it was exactly. uh, always always a good time. So well, yeah. we yeah. we uh, have have a special guest with us today, um, a, a friend of. Both Shane and mine, that uh, is a member of not only uh, our research group, the Telemuc Forest Research Group, he's also a member of the Olympic Project and Bigfootology. And uh, Larry is quite, you know, a, a very avid outdoorsman. Has spent mm-hmm. years and years in the woods. Um, I always kind of defer to Larry's outdoor knowledge. He's kind of, um, you know, he's hunted forever, fished and um, height just about everywhere in the Pacific Northwest. So, um, and he's uh, had, a, had a couple of uh, different uh, squatchy kind of encounters um, and then uh, got involved. In fact, he's always say, you know, there wouldn't be a Tillamook Forest Research Group if it hadn't been for Larry and his, and his good friend Mark because they, they, uh, started going out in the area um, religiously after his, Larry's daughter had an uh, interesting vocalization encounter up in the area that we became our research area. So um, he, Larry went from, when I first met Larry, he, he told me this, one of the stories told him he's going to share with our audience today, and uh, pretty incredible. Uh, he actually yeah. has a recording um, that that uh, validates 
a lot of it. You can't actually hear anything walking around, but you can hear the as he tells the events, the audio that I got to listen to in its entirety about a year later because he'd misplaced the recorder with the audio on it uh, and found yeah. it in a backpack. <laughs> so, um, but he's been, you know, he, he's one of the driving forces behind our group and, and has um, become uh, our audio expert, so to speak, and spent a lot of time, spent a lot of time um, consulting with, with uh, David Ellis of the Olympic Project and going through uh, hours and hours of, of uh, audio that we collect up in, in our research areas. So um, without further ado, I'd like to bring our friend and uh, research partner, Larry Turner. Yep. Hello. You there? Hey, Larry. Hey, hey Larry. Larry. Just working How you doing, buddy? <laughs> How are good. you doing? I'm good, guys. Staying out of the heat? Uh, yeah, I'm actually in the lab doing audio work. <laughs> but why am I not surprised? Yeah, well, I'm downloading last week's audio and correlating files. Nothing to report. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you tell uh, our mon- the Monster Actions what, uh, what is, I mean, that, I think we've talked a little bit about your your process of going through audio, but uh, if you wouldn't give us, mind giving us a little background on what you do to get through, you know, umpteen hours of audio. Well, I use a uh, computer program called, uh, there's two computer programs I use, but the main one I use is what's called Sonic Visualizer. That's basically a uh, digital representation of of a uh, spectrum analyzer that puts sound into a digital format uh, where you can actually see it. And then it's got a scale of, uh, you know, the frequency of where the, the sounds are and then amplitude as to how powerful they are. Um, after some time, of taking, then you download your uh, file into this, and then you could see, after a bunch of settings and stuff, you could actually see the sounds of the night, if you will, calls and owls and other anomalies. And I could pretty much go through a 28-minute file in about five minutes after understanding what the the your normal suspect sounds are when you visualize it, um, like an owl will look kind of like an upside down question mark for lack of a better term. Coyote's kind of like a little check mark. That's just kind of a real basic. But when you see these things, you can go right along or listen to them. And I'm looking for something that's completely out of the ordinary. Out of the ordinary, the basic sounds, including what the noise level is of the forest, and, and then when something stands out, that's why I go and take a look further. And you've and and you found such anomalies, so to speak, as you know, in the recordings that that you've listened to from our research area. Oh yes, many many uh, anomalous uh, uh, recordings of stuff that uh, I've uh, collaborated with David with. Uh, some are even head scratchers, where neither one of us know what it is. Um, others are suspect. Uh, Bigfoot calls. I haven't seen one make it, so we can only suspect it. It's, it's not a possum, you know, or a kangaroo, or an elk. I can tell you what it's so not. But. 
yeah, you yeah. can basically look at it and 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 it it becomes that it's not a known animal, basically. Exactly, it's an unknown animal. So and yeah. we're what, talking, what we've you, been talking recently. Go ahead, Shane. Oh, I was going to say real quick. What what exactly you say you look for anomalies? You know, what kind of uh, you know what are you looking for exactly? Uh, different hertz, you know, maybe you know for our audience, maybe explain kind of what you're looking for. Uh, when it comes I'm to these anomalies. Okay, well, basically, I'm looking for stuff that, for instance, a human voice range is it's got a certain frequency range. Um, every everything in the woods has got a certain frequency range or vocal, you know, vocal imprint print on you know this graph. And all I do is like, a, for instance, uh, I can't remember what night it was, but it was old. That was when we were up in Mount Adams. That dumb bug. Well, that shows a resonance frequency that uh, shows resonance and actually uh, nulls out my the speakers on on our uh, our microphones. And basically, I could I could see like frogs; they have a different sound. Kind of a you know, there's, there's just different frequencies along the hertz scale that you could identify these animals right away um, on the the hertz scale where they where they land in the frequency range. It's just their range. That's where they are. That makes sense. When you're also talking about you're looking for different, you can actually identify um, different known sounds by by the shape that uh, that shows up when they vocalize. Yeah, right. Yeah, you look looking at it and there's certain patterns and stuff that become after watching them over and over again become familiar. You know, just like exactly you, you then exactly. learn what you're looking or, or what you're not looking for. I guess. I mean, you're looking right. for, you know, hey, that one I can eliminate because I know what it is. I know what it is. That's a deer. That's that, which is to me is hugely valuable. You know, because one one of the things I, I think that that audio is probably the easiest um, evidence to collect, but the most difficult to to process because you know you said it's so, so everything you hear is open to interpretation. You know, you ask three people right. that heard the same vocalization and, and they all can describe it differently but what you're doing is actually a science is scientific in that you're look you're looking at it with a, with a trained eye you know of, exactly of, and what is it and you have a you know you're one of the valuable um, aspects of you you is that you actually are a scientist you 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 do practice science every day in your job, and which is why don't you explain that a little bit for for okay. our audience? I'm what's called a metrologist. That's the science of measurement. Um, I worked at twenty. Uh, I worked at Tektronix for twenty five years, and this is where I had my uh, training. Uh, was in metrology. Metrology is the uh, science of measurement. It includes all theoretical and practical aspects of measurement. As basically defined by the Inter- International Bureau of Weights and Measures, um, and we all we that's where we uh, it, you know that's where our science derives from. That's where they like uh, in Boulder, Colorado, is where the national standards are. It's like the original the the standard one foot, the standard one volt, all, all these things with regards to anything that's measurable in the, my industry has got its reference standard in Boulder, Colorado. So it's traceable. Everything I do is traceable back to them. Um, 
the same thing with this that I'm doing now, even with uh, all the uh, uh, looking at frequencies and stuff. Um, in my training, I had I've had training where I measured sound in metrology, and this is something that's just in my wheelhouse. So this is something that I use for my the scientific and fundamental parts of the metrology aspect of what I do, measuring sound as well. Yeah. So and you have a accreditation that that a lot of uh, bigfooters would would not be able to claim. You actually are accredited by NASA. Yes. Uh, NASA actually came out and physically uh, audited me in doing uh, uh, sound uh, work, basically measuring frequencies um, and sound analysis. This was for some of their equipment when they were doing um, measurement for their uh, sound sources for uh, radio uh, frequencies for deep uh, space probes. And I was one of the people that they came out to uh, audit when we were making uh, uh, equipment for the, for the, them to use in their measurement aspect of it. So you just naturally kind of fell into being, you know, audio. I, I remember when when uh, when I first met you, we were just getting started. In fact, the night, the first night that you and I met, um, was the first time that you were putting out a TAS cam. You know, there, yeah. you had a lot of. Uh, <laughs> we won't talk about the results. Here of we that. go. <laughs> <laughs> we we've all go had ahead. bad experience so with audio. <laughs> no, but 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 I mean, it was interesting because how fat, how far um, you've come in in that regard. But it was just such a natural thing for you to to uh, to with once you got the tools and knew that there was a way to. Uh, analyze the the audio that we were getting. You just fell right into it, and then um, we had, you know, members of our group went up um, to the Olympic project, and you and um, I introduced you to David Ellis because I just knew that you guys would get along because that David's always been, you know, one of his areas of focus has been looking at audio. So I remember you guys being off in a corner and huddling and. <laughs> It was, it was two old it, guys it, in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> but two guys that I mean, it, it, and, and you know, David has a has a mentor as well. So, but it's been hugely valuable to our group to be able to that we have someone who's a little crazy that that uh, you know I would we were just talking about that that you got to have somebody that all great things that get accomplished are driven by somebody with incredible passion. And maybe a little bit of obsessive behavior, and, and Larry is one of those people. Well, a cool, cool uh, Bigfoot stories. I mean, you've the first time I I met the first night I met you, you shared uh, an encounter that you had had like 30 years prior that you had not shared with anybody before. So, yeah, let's you're start the with first person one. I ever. You're the first person I ever told about that one because. Back then, who would you tell? You know, uh, that one there was actually about 33 years ago, and uh, it was in November of well, 33 years ago. I was elk hunting um, in the uh, Fulton River drainage area, basically. Oh, kind of in the Scoggins Valley area, um, up up one of the roads up behind Hag Lake, and. Uh, 
I found this nice walked-up road that went, uh, went into some uh, woods, and I found a uh, six-point bull elk, so it, was, it would keep on running away from me. I couldn't get a clear shot, so I followed it for about, you know, four miles down the bottom of this canyon, and I went up. There, it went up this knoll where I couldn't get a shot off, and I don't shoot unless I have a clean shot. So I went up over this knoll, and wouldn't you know it, right down into another canyon. <laughs> so I think I had enough of that, so I just turned around and let him go. So started heading back up to the truck. Of course, you don't realize when you're going downhill how steep it really is, so... What turned out to me maybe an hour and a half going downhill was more like four hours going back up. So as I was heading up the hill, well, taking breaks periodically, but I found this uh, real super old skid road. It had big trees in the middle of it, but it was a remnant of a road, so I started walking up up that. It's a lot easier walking up that than through the brush. To my left was a uh, brush line. Um Kind of semi-thick, but you can see into it from now every now and then. I was walking up that skid road, uh, probably a good 20 minutes, and I just stopped or freeze. Uh, hair standing on my back and my neck. I checked my six. There's nothing behind me. I'm going. I just didn't feel right. Something was wrong. I I I can't explain it. it you know, it was like I was totally, for lack of a better term, in fear for my life. And there's, like, nothing out there that's ever rattled me before. I mean, I've had bear uh, walk right in front of a bear, and they just run off. Cougars, I've had them right behind me, and they just turn around. As soon as they realize they're discovered, they run off. And I just knew it wasn't anything like that. And so I I jacked around in my uh, .30-06, and I started walking up the hill really cautiously. Again, really nervous. Heart's, like, beating in my throat, but I couldn't explain why. I heard the brush moving in that area I was telling you to my left. And I looked over there, and I see this black mass, pieces of black mass, mind you, because it's brush. And I was like, what the heck is that? And it's, it's massive, and I was like, there's no way a black bear is that big. So I started walking again, and it's making this sound. And it's following me as I'm, it's paralleling me as I'm going up the hill. Just like that. And I'm go- and I see a big arm or a big leg, and just these bits and pieces of this black giant mass as I'm walking up this hill. Well, now by this time, this is like thirty thirty minutes of this thing still following me, making that weird noise <clears throat> like that. And there's no way a black bear would do that; they would be gone. Um, so I double timed it. And it was keeping up with me going up the hill. Of course, if it was a big guy, I guess I don't have to really work that hard. I did. But um, so the whole time, while I was double-timing it up, it was, again, probably three, four miles. That thing was with me the whole way until I got to main line, where then I made a 300-yard dash and got in my truck, and I never have been back to that area, never. I'd like to go back, but it's all gated off now. But that... So, I mean, you had umpteen years of experience being in the woods yeah. prior to that, and you did never yep. had an experience like that before that. Never. Never. That was and the first time one, I was actually the, afraid of anything. One of the things that you said, said to me, and I've heard other hunters that is like, you you know, even having a uh, rifle with you, 
you didn't feel like it was big enough for whatever was trailing exactly. you in the woods. Exactly. I had a 30 out six with a 285 grain bullet, and it, I just did not feel it was big enough at all, whatever that was. And I mean, you never got you you didn't ever get a, a good enough look at it to definitely say, well, that you know, it, what you saw was a bigfoot. No, I just saw you know like a a, le- a massive leg and a massive arm and, and a swinging motion, and that's about it. I never saw the whole body, never did. Right. Because but it was that, in brush. So. You know. But 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 in the same time. Your outdoors, you know, your wilderness experience and and your experience as a hunter and outdoorsman told you that it was not anything that you had, that you it wasn't anything you knew. It wasn't a bear, it wasn't an elk. It, I mean, it was obvious to you that it wasn't something that you you'd seen previously. No, it's nothing that I've hunted before. Yeah, um, so, not I mean, in any way, shape, so, or form. The size was even off the scale from what I hunt. Well, the sound you you described didn't sound like. I mean, that's you know the the sound that you have have made and shared with us. It it didn't sound to me like any known animal either. But so no, I've never heard anything like that, that until that day. I mean, I've had bear black bear huffing at me and you know do their little bluff charge sounds and nothing like that. And I've walked from, you know, walked right up to a bull elk and tapped them with my arrow. You know, they don't make they don't make that type of sound. I've had cougars within 20 feet of me, and they're just pretty darn quiet. They don't make much sound at all except run away when they're caught. The time did you think? I mean, did did even did you even have a reference point of of Bigfoot? No, I never even it never even crossed my mind. Other than it was, you know. I couldn't even begin to explain to anybody what it was I saw. Bigfoot was never in my my mind at that point until, uh, oh, I think 2012 was when it all came together and I realized what was, holy crap, that was 20 miles from that area. That's a possibility, you know. So that's where I put it together. So tell us, Share with us again your uh, how you got involved in in uh, our research area. I mean, what 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 happened that that uh, made you the Bigfoot madman that you are today? Sure. Well, what happened <laughs> was is in the uh, August of 2012, my grown daughters uh, Carrie and Nikki and a few of their friends went out camping, and. Uh, they ended up, they went to one place and that campground was full, and so the rangers sent them off to another spot. So they set up their camps and stuff. And uh, these are all 20 something year olds. And, uh, you know, they hit the sack probably around one or something like that. Well, directly to the west of them, um, they were getting this uh, these strong whoop calls uh, being called, directed right at them into camp. And I didn't hear about any of this until they came home and sat down with me, and both of them, including one of the, a couple of the boys, were telling me about this. I'm going, I went through all the known animals that I know. These girls have been all over the place uh, camping with me. I mean, from three weeks in, uh, in uh, you know, the Glacier National Park, uh, Yellowstone National Park, you know, all over the Pacific Northwest. You know, they, they're pretty accustomed to what, what's out there. 
and they didn't have any explanation. So my middle daughter made a you know a, a sound of what she she or mimicked the sound of what she heard. Well, that got me like. Well, I've never heard anything like that before. So I was talking to my boss, Mark, about this, and we decided to go up there the following weekend. This was, oh, you know, like I said, late August, early September uh, 2012. And so he brought his daughter along, and we camped. And that was about the time I was watching Bell finding Bigfoot. I was like, you know, in the back of my mind, I'm going, well, maybe it's that. But I had no doubt, no idea what it was. So we walked around the perimeter of the campground after dinner and made a knock, a couple knocks. And I didn't know how to make calls yet, so we just went back to camp and hung out. Clock, his, wife, his uh, daughter goes to bed, and Mark and I are just sitting at the fire checking out the stars. About 20 minutes later... We hear these five knocks coming from exactly where we were. We both stand up, and I'm going, there's nobody out here. He goes, I know. And so I'm going, holy crap. Well, right after I said that, we get a call coming in from the uh, north so loud uh, that it was directed towards us or, or towards whatever was making the knocks. It was so loud it reverberated in our chests. Little did I know that uh, Mark had a, 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 a camera that had audio recording features on it, and we captured that. So what we did is that we wrote a, re- wrote a report and submitted it to the BFRO along with our audio. And enter uh, Cindy Cadell, she called me up, uh, well, I think it was that, not soon after she heard it and wanted to meet at this area. So we took her out there and showed her around. Her and her husband, Jared. And they, we agreed to meet the next weekend to camp out there and see what was up. And then uh, we got a, we got a re- pretty good recording and all that. I, I don't know if Shane's got that one. He might be able to play that for you. But that was a good, that's a good two-minute recording there. But we, we both recorded that uh one there, and that's where actually was the genesis of the uh, the uh, Toma Force Group. Well, and then you and and uh, Mark. I mean, that, that's the thing that was interesting to me is in most cases, you know, uh, that would end up being an anecdotal story. You know, another report, and that would have been basically the end of it. Somebody makes a report. Somebody investigates the report, and then next report, you know, and it, it, it's another interesting story, but nothing really more ever comes out of it. But that wasn't that that wasn't the case here. What you know, what happened? What happened after uh, Cindy and Jared came out, and you guys? I mean, this is three weekends in a row that there was you know some kind of vocalizations in that area, right. and then and and so after Cindy and Jared came out, you. You continued to go up there. Yeah, Mark and I continued to go up there almost every weekend or every other weekend. We'd go up there, and uh, little by little, we'd be recording more stuff, getting to know the area more. Um, and we just kept on going, and pretty soon, um, Cindy would come out there every once in a while. Um, and the, uh, well, let's see, Cindy came out, you know, would come out, and Jer- Cindy and Jared, that is, and we just, it just started steamrolling from there. Um, more folks would come out. Of course, I was pretty, you know, uh, with protecting the area, as you and Shane probably have 
in my victims. <laughs> <laughs> I, I kind of remember something about that. Yeah. No idea. Yeah, this, was, guy no. Gunner, this guy Gunner shows up over there. This poor Shane. Or probably thought I was a madman. But you guys got your stories. You could tell how protective I was of the area in itself. But uh, it all worked out for what it's supposed to be. You know, that was it's all a good thing. Or, well, you had. You know I, mean? I mean, you you kept going. It wasn't. You just weren't going up there for fun. You you had you had other things happen during the times that you oh. were going up there. One one incident in particular that that you to share. <laughs> was, oh. I, I remember you telling me this story for the first time, and it was a little like. Uh, incredible for me, and I'm still, you know, I still was getting to know you, so I like, eh, that, that, that is a pretty incredible story. This guy's nuts. <laughs> well, you know, you're always kind of, I'm, I'm very, and you know by now that I'm pretty pragmatic and uh, suspect. I'm very uh, critical of evidence, and yeah, but, but your story is funny. One of the funny parts of it is you told the story so calmly and and when I heard the actually heard the recording that was going on at the same same time it it more solidified by then I already knew that you know I already knew you and and knew that you were a stand up guy and and that i I believed your story by then, but hearing the recording of it really solidified for me as like okay that that is more likely what you know that was that that makes more sense of the story. You initially told me just from the reaction. So why don't you tell us, um, share that story? Sure. In in March of uh, 2013, um, again we've been going up there for quite a while now. Um, I made arrangements with uh, Cindy to to go out, and we we've already explored enough the area where we have different designations for different camps that we want to go to. One of them was Camp B. Um, so, again, in March 2013, we decided to go out there, and I brought my daughter's chocolate lab with me, set up camp, and was waiting for Cindy to come out. She came out with, I think it was her grandson, maybe her daughter, hung out, you know, we had dinner and stuff, but uh, sadly, Cindy couldn't stay stay the night, or the gang couldn't stay the night, so it was just me, alone. And um, <laughs> it was like, okay, here we go. Yeah, so um, um, so they'd left, and the dog and I were playing catch and stuff, and it was starting to get kind of uh, that, you know, sun was going down pretty quick, so I walked down the uh, the lot, the uh, landing, and stuck a recorder about 50 yards, and then walked over uh, to my truck. I brought a couple infrared perimeter alarms along, and I set them on top of my truck, where they would go off if anything was taller than me. And they're basically pointed off, kind of at 180 degrees towards my backside, towards the six on my six, so that it would overlook or would catch anything coming up from behind me, while my tent was. So it was kind of a misty night, and so I uh, I put uh, you know everything back in my little box, and you know I'm, I'm a diabetic, so I put my pills in the little plastic bag and put put it in the box underneath the table in the in the uh, in a paper bag and made sure everything was stowed just right. 
left my my knife in one spot and and then uh, proceeded to go into the tent and bunk bed down for the night. Well, I guess I zeroed out in about I think it was oh quarter to midnight or so. The my primer alarm goes off. Da da! I'm up on the ceiling. I mean, I had the the alarm feature right next to my ear, so. I'm having a heart attack, and, a do- and I look at the daughter. She's sitting up, staring, and then the alarm goes off again. Da da! And I'm fumbling around in the dark trying to shut this thing off, and then I'm hearing. I shut the thing off. The dog is starting to spin from like 180 degrees on her seat, and what the? And I look, and I'm listening, and I hear this bipedal movement walking around my tent. And it's making this weird type of sound. And it's doing that as it's walking around the tent. In the meantime, my dog is following this thing, going around the tent. This is a nine-minute encounter, a nine-minute thing of this thing going around my tent. It would go around my tent for a while, and then it would mess around at my picnic table. You could hear it messing around, moving things around, ruffling papers and stuff like that. You know, and I'm sitting there going, what the? And then it would start walking around my tent again. Well, this was going on. Let's just say it was like five minutes or so, because that's an eternity of time when you're freaked out. So this thing's walking around, making that weird sound, and the as its feet are hitting the ground, you could literally feel the weight of the feet hitting the ground as you're lay- I'm laying down, so you could actually feel the weight. This is something pretty dang heavy. So it stops behind my, right directly behind me. And all of a sudden, I'm seeing my tent being pushed in. And this massive hand through the tent has got my head. Its thumb wraps around my ear, down towards my jawbone, this is how big the hand is. And then the rest of the hand is over my eye socket. I, I, my, you know, what's that? I was being palmed like a basketball, for lack of a better term. And it's gently manipulating my head. I reach ever so slightly to grab my 45, and I've got it aimed at it, and I'm going, this is not big enough. So I gently put the thing down because it's only got a hand, it's got its hand in my head and I'm like freaked out and so oh this sucks. So by this time the dog has had enough and jumped in the bottom of my mummy bag. How she got in there to this day I haven't got a clue. So I'm I got no no help here. So then the thing lets go of me and then starts walking around my tent again a couple of times and I'm. And then messes around the table for a while, and then walks around, starts walking around the tent, and I grab the keys from my truck, and hit the lock alarm. As I told Gunner, I just hit a couple of times. Well, it's been a year. I, I don't know how many times. I'm, I think I hit it like dit, 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 like that. You know, <laughs> and a couple of times I did though. When I went dit, it stopped as in its movement or progression right behind me. You hear a slide in the gravel. And then it proceeded along, and then I hit the alarm a lot more to make it go away. I don't know if you got that recording. Do you got the recording, Gunner? I don't have it. I don't have it uh, handy, but I oh, okay. I have the 
and I don't think that I have the entire recording. I just have the there was some rock clicking that was. Yeah, I, I'm still trying. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah, true. Anyway, that's kind of the story. So, and then the next morning, it it melted off. Which direction? I haven't got a clue. I was too freaked out to tell you. Needless to say, I didn't really sleep that much that night. So the next morning, I got up. Dog comes bouncing out of the bag like nothing happened. So I'm kind of like, oh, that night sucked. And so I'm sitting there trying to make some coffee, and I'm going, what is my knife doing at the other end of the table? You know, I was like, grabbed it, put it back. I'm drinking coffee. Oh, yeah, footprint. So I went over there around the backside of my tent, and I took pictures of this and measured it. It was a 19-inch impression in the gravel. Um, part of that probably could have been due to the sl- how it slid or whatever, but there was some clear clear impression in there where you could actually see a heel print, maybe some toes, that type of thing. So I went back to go make my breakfast and uh, set everything up, and I noticed my cooler's a jar, open a jar. I planned on being there for two days, so I bought eight eggs. I only had four left, and I figured, well, maybe I didn't take the eggs with me, you know, but that when I got home, I only had four, so... I guess the the handling fee was four eggs on the big foot part. <laughs> charge charge for the for a head massage. Yeah, and, and then my Larry, uh, you, my dad. Larry, have you contacted uh, Shaquille, Shaquille O'Neal to see if he was out there? Uh, you know. No, I didn't. Uh, I, I didn't. I don't think so. I think he's afraid oh. of uh, being being cold and wet. Okay, just checking. <laughs> okay, and yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that. Even Shaq's feet aren't 19 inches long. That's a strong <laughs> possibility. And uh, I don't know if his hand would be that big either. But that's what the amazing thing to me that stuck out on me was how long the thumb was. You know, going around the jaw, completely around the jaw. I mean, that was just absolutely amazing. So basically, I mean, so the next day you get up, you you – Look, you find what looks like an impression. I've seen the picture of that. It, I mean, there, there's definitely something there that you could that looks like a foot shape. You actually had the foresight the night before to to like broom off the area around. Oh yeah, you I forgot to mention that. I actually had a big, huge uh, concrete uh, push broom, and wherever I go, I usually bring that, and I usually make the whole area uniform. You're, you're correct, Gunner. That's exactly what I did. Which was pretty cool. I mean, that, and so you kind of knew that the area was was flat before. Right. Yeah. So what did you do when you got up the next morning and, you you know, you realized that, that, I mean, did you stick around the area? Did you stay another night? I, did, I chose not to stay another night. I knew <laughs> I was safe during the daytime. So I investigated around the area a little bit. Again, this is, you know, in March and stuff, and, you know, I, I tried to find stuff, find anything else, but I couldn't. So, so I left there probably around near noon the, that day, that next morning or, you know, afternoon. But I didn't see, find anything else. So a little more comfortable in daylight than I was at night. Um, yeah, that, it was, I mean, that, night just that gets a little more creepy that. around there. Was yeah, it's a pretty. I mean that. That's a pretty crazy encounter. I mean, I, and I've heard, you know, a, a couple other encounters were that were somewhat similar. And 
it's funny because uh, I don't you you didn't ever make it to the Willow Creek um, when they showed Willow Creek in Portland, did you? No, I didn't. Yeah, so that I mean, the, if anybody who's seen Bob Goldcat's Bigfoot movie Willow Creek, the tent scene in there, it totally reminded me of like Larry. This would probably freak Larry out. Yeah, Gunner. Gunner, do you know what's funny is I saw, you know, I was there for that screening and got to meet Bob and whatnot, and uh, that for me was the best scene in the whole movie because it brought me back to my encounter, uh, you know, that tent scene did, you know. It was different, but there were some similarities there, especially with the noises being heard outside the tent. Uh, So, yeah, good flick. Yeah, he did. I mean, he captured a good, the, the essence of a lot of Bigfooters' experiences of sitting in their tent while, you know, Something um, is making grunts and barks and all kinds of knock and tree knocks and stuff outside the tent. So if you haven't seen Willow Creek, it's one of one of the uh, the best. That that tent scene is worth seeing if nothing else because it, right. it was uh, uh, definitely uh, reminiscent. I'm sure for a lot of Bigfooters uh, of yeah. sitting in their tent and and uh, hearing. Uh, bipedal movement outside and all the I mean they can they did a great job of capturing that. The one thing and, that uh, okay, got to live it, so <laughs> Yeah. One thing I took away from this experience in retrospect after reflecting on it for a while is that for me I actually speak for myself is that uh at least you know, the way it was handling me was not in a, uh a uh, rough fashion. It was pretty gentle. I mean, if it wanted to, it could have probably squished me like a grape. I mean, no lie. And for me, again, for all that close encounter of the knife kind or whatever, <laughs> I uh, don't think that they mean, mean me any harm in any way. Otherwise, they had plenty of opportunity. If you know what I mean. That's a very vulnerable, I'm sure, I mean, if you well, you're feeling a giant hand wrap, basically wrapped around your head, is a, is a pretty vulnerable feeling. Absolutely, I can't tell you the range of the uh, of uh, levels of uh, feelings I had from fright to I'm going to die or, or damn dog, what's it doing at the bottom of the bag, shaking. <laughs> Uh, my gun's not big enough. What do I do now? And at that point, I just said to myself, well, I guess I'm going to roll with it and see what happens. Well, it's kind of, yeah, at that point, it's kind of out of your hands and in, into Squatch's hands. Yeah. Yep. It was all up to him, you know. Um, I think that, you know, in retrospect, I think that many of us have been closer than we think to these things without even knowing it. Um We've had plenty of experiences out there, Gunner and Shane, where we that's probably the case. Well, yeah, that was that was in March of two thousand thirteen. I think it was then uh in September is when uh I first met you and we were you know, I it, the air, this area has always been an area that I thought had uh high potential. Um There'd been, you know, it had a, had a good history of re- reports, and uh, I just happened to be reading and read read that your your uh, daughter's story, and then it talked about, you know, you how you had continued to go out there and stuff, and and 
so I got a hold of, of Cindy, and she was kind enough to arrange a trip out to the area. And, um, and I mean, I still remember driving up there for the first time and thinking there is no effing way <laughs> that, that there is Bigfoot out here because it's a very active area during the daytime, a lot of, you know, ATV traffic and a lot of gunfire, and I like just shaking my head and thinking there is no way that there is, you know, they would be hanging out here. But uh, uh, the fir- my first night out there with, with you and Cindy, and Cindy's grandson was, was with her, and uh, we had what we now call the crescendo night with where there was uh, a lot of vocalizations for uh, like a period of two hours, and, and I just kind of sat in amazement. Of course, my, my, my brain was like, you know, what you know? What would be making that kind of noise? What else could it, you know? What what would be going through the woods, whooping and screaming? And and then about midnight, we had all of a sudden there was all kinds of uh, variety of vocalization. And the weird thing I I can remember it like it was yesterday. The first my first thought was like I I thought maybe it can't is people because there was some kind of like talking underneath the screaming, and it was. Very, very, and the weird thing was that you, uh, you, Larry, Larry, like said earlier <laughs> that night, is like, yeah, I'd sure like to hear samurai chatter one of these days, and it, that's what I, how I would describe it was similar to what you know Ron Moore had recorded is like there was like a kind of talk underneath the 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 other vocalizations, and my brain was trying to pick out an English word, and at one point I realized you know, there wasn't one, and then it just stopped, and there was no more, you know, um, till like, I don't know, 5 o'clock in the morning, I heard, happened to hear, a, you know, a howl or something um, moving back through the south from the direction that that uh, we first started hearing things in the east, so yeah, that was, and then I was like, kind of sold on the area, and like, wow, that's pretty incredible, and it was the most, I mean, I, you know, I'd investigated in a into Bigfoot for a long time, been an investigator for the BFRO, investigated reports, been out, in, you know, on expeditions, and it never, it was definitely the most uh, squatchy experience that I'd ever had. And uh, we've had a lot of stuff happen, you know, and that kind of led to us making a, you know, building this this team of people that that uh, had a, you know, share an interest in in the topic and. And uh, we have a great group. We've just added a couple mm-hmm. new new members. Uh, Greg Razor is is uh, joined us, and John Hammer. Um, so it, I look forward to, to getting out there with those guys and and uh, and having them experience. In fact, we just recently uh, it was the three of us, and then Tanya were out there, and she heard had heard her first vocalization. So it's I mean it's cool when you, you get to to go out with your friends and they get to experience, um, you know, the activity that, that we've, and we've had, and then of course, progress, things have progressed. I mean, we've had different things, you know, things, new things will happen. We've had whistles were, were new. Um, you know, we had an incident where it, best we, we can figure it was a, a rock was tossed um, within about three feet of where Jess was sitting. I mean, it, it's been, Crazy, and then we've had not, you know we've had nights when we got skunked. 
You got nothing at all. Oh, absolutely. Which, yeah. So, um, uh, Larry, one of the when I when when I first met you, uh, I think uh, well, I met you at Hop's Watch, but on another uh, outing or uh, a venue, we were at another Hop Squatch event um, at the White Owl, and uh, there were some presentations made there. I think it was the uh, Bigfoot Beer Fest or something like along those lines. But oh yeah, you I showed me. That. Yeah, you remember that. You you were with Mark and one of our Tillamook members, and you showed me a a handprint on your truck that oh, yeah. uh, I found very interesting. Do you mind talking about that and and uh, how that came to be? Yeah, that was I don't remember what time of year that uh, is now, but I was out again. I had this uh, affinity to keep on going out there. It's an I don't know, must love a mystery or something. So went out there again, and um, was with a, another guy, and um, actually, what it, it, you, we actually, I actually was awake that night where the other guy was snoring, and I actually heard this thing come into camp, tripped over the fire grate. You know, you could hear it hit the fire grate. But the, the next morning when we came up, I don't know what it was doing in camp. Is basically, you know, I guess it was just walking around. But the next morning I got up, I found, I originally thought that there was a butt print on my track, on my truck, on the side. There was full of mud. It was during the winter. Um, but then on closer examination, I was showing this to Rhett, showing this thing to Rhett Mullis. He saw this handprint. And I was going, I never noticed that before. Now, the handprint, it, it's a double stamp. I know that there's also fingerprints that were on my front door. So this was about midsection of my pickup bed, this handprint. Um, well, I believe it was a left hand. Yeah, left handprint. And then three fingerprints on my front door. My front door. Um, gosh, I think the spread might be over six feet uh, from the distance, but... The interesting thing about the handprint, it was the placement of, of the thumb. I actually have a, the, 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 and Gunnar and Shannon seen this, it actually looks like a claw on the thumbprint. The, the other part is the shape of the thumb. It's offset. Um, if anybody pulls up a lemur hand, it's similar to that um, in, the, in the shape of the hand. But a very clear handprint, double stamped on my truck. Um, very, very cool. Um yeah, and I got pictures of that and measurements and stuff, and you know. And that was, I mean, I remember you telling me about that when you came out, and you also found hair on your truck, which yes, was, yes, I did. We still, did I collect it? No. What's that? I did not collect it. <laughs> well, and that's, I mean, that, it, it's funny because there's we've we've had some growing pains in in you know in learning to collect evidence. And I was like, what do I do with it? You know, we just weren't prepared at the time to, and, and, and it happens a lot. I always wonder how much evidence goes ungathered because people, you know, just don't know what the hell to do with it. Like, yeah. Oh, what do I do? What, how do I collect hair? You know? And, um, no, that we'll have to post that picture of that, that, uh, um, that hand for it. Cause it, it's pretty interesting. And, it, and, and I mean, they're, it, it looks like there could be. There's obviously looks what like hair striations down the side of the 
like something backed up to the. I, I mean, I can't tell. I can. We can only theorize, but the the what appears to be a handprint with a long. I wouldn't call it a claw so much as a like a like a overgrown fingernail that looks pointy. I mean, definitely uh, was was a very interesting and compelling looking uh, uh, impression on the side of your pickup, and like that 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 would be pretty cool. And we've had it, you know. I mean, we've had stuff. We've heard movement in the camp um, at other at, at other times when we're in there. And in fact, we recorded exactly. we recorded you know what we later determined figured sounded like a rock being tossed in the camp that that Shane was awake for. And then um, when we listened to the recording, we heard something that sounded very ape-like. It was like, <laughs> and we all about like fell out of our chairs when we heard that. And I think it was shortly thereafter that we enacted uh, the gunner protocol because uh, I inadvertently <laughs> deleted the compelling audio um, so, the I mean, we actually did learn that that um, before we we leave camp, is we actually bring a laptop with us, and all the audio files get uploaded there before um, before we go off with them. Because you've got you know four or five, six people sometimes, all with recorders, and and you kind of have to have a central clearinghouse and protect. You know, you never know what you're going to find on. It's amazing is how much stuff happens like. Um, when we're when we're actually sleeping, then we'll hear listen exactly. later and find stuff. So, well, what kind of things? I mean, have you you've heard different things on? Uh, um, you know the the other things that we found uh, up in that area. We you know recently when we had uh, there was a whole bunch of us up there that that one weekend where. Where uh, Rhett, Rettman and uh, Greg came down from Washington, and um, they found uh, what, what, and I'd never seen anything like that before, um, but found what looked like uh, what had been a random pile of sticks um, that looked, and I, I guess I just say it, it looked didn't look random when we found it later, and I hadn't seen it before, prior, but when what I saw. Uh, and it was we found it in front of uh, Greg's tent, and uh, and then we started finding. And you and Shane were were camped separately from. We had like three camps going up there at that that time, and uh, what what remember what you found at your guys' campsite when we when we went back and checked your area out. Uh, that was quite strange, you know, coming from where you guys were camped and where Greg had his, where he set up his tent, he piled up a bunch of sticks that was off the side and basically it was like maybe a three-foot circumference pile of sticks. And then when you guys, you know, when we got back, they were all uniformly laid out in some geometric patterns in a short period of time. And so we went down to where I think Shane and I's camp is probably, what do you think, Shane, about 300 yards from there to the east? Yeah, yeah, three three to the 400 yards away. Yeah, so we're, we're down the hill from them. So we jetted on down the hill, got over there. First thing we noticed was 
our pile of sticks, which were laying in a, in a horizontal position, have also been rearranged into some sort of weird form geometric pattern, and it gets stranger. So we're, we're look, Shane goes, look at my tent. And it, when we left it, <laughs> it was secure. His tent is open now. It's wet along the zipper. It's folded open. His sleeping bag's ruffled around. Uh, I've never seen anything like it before. Oh, yeah, in my worst. Zipper was, it was this muddy, wet zipper. Uh, I can't even explain it. I've never seen anything like it before. We weren't gone that long for all this to happen all at once um, between two camps. It was just odd. Um, I believe we found a, uh, an impression, too, right, uh, not too far from where the sticks were all rearranged, too. Um, yeah. Is that what you can recall, Shane? Yeah, you know, there, was a, uh, there was some sort of impression. It wasn't clear, but it looked large. Uh, kind of like uh, something had stuck its foot or whatever down in, into the gravel and kind of dispersed it, uh, you know, maybe uh, put its pressure down on it, its weight, and, and it was hard to explain. You know, the zipper thing was weird for me uh, with the mud oh, yeah. on the flapper and whatnot, and then on the side of my tent was a um, – there was some grass and, like, kind of hay uh, around our tent, and oh, yeah. uh, you could see you could see, like, a scoop mark where something had – possibly reach out its arms, and I don't know why, but there was a pile of hay or grass next to my tent uh, that wasn't there before. It's like, yeah, it was, it was weird. I mean, the whole, the whole, that whole experience was weird, you know. I mean, you could, you know, we didn't see Sasquatch do it, so I won't say Sasquatch did that, but it was just weird. Uh, could there have been someone out there? Sure, but they, it wouldn't make any sense as to why they would do that. You know, I, I didn't really leave any valuables in my tent or anything, but um, it was just the whole, the whole between the two camps. It was just a really odd experience, and it left me, you know, scratch my head as to, you know, we were gone probably, I don't know, probably an hour and a half, I would say at tops, and it was just, it was just an odd experience. It was weird. Yeah, especially well, the, when you take a the, look at the those firewood piles in both camps had been yep. manipulated. Yeah, I mean that was what was, I mean the the stick pattern. And I, I've never been a big proponent of, you know, glyphs or – but it, and it's one of those things until you experience, you know, these different aspects that people report, it's really easy to marginalize stuff that other people are reporting. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> we're talking about a big monkey and it, I <laughs> doubt that they're, you know, that they're going to be making, making sticks and making stories for it. But we found some other, you know, that was the first time I'd ever seen anything that looked like somebody describes as a glyph. And uh, I've actually showed that. And it was I just found that to, pretty weird. I sent that to David, and he's seen that before, so that was pretty interesting. And, and both yeah. Rettman and Greg were looking for. Right, and, and both Greg and, and Rettman, who have, have found similar things up in Washington. So. Right. I just thought there's it was. I mean, it pattern was, in there. I mean, I, I, I describe it as a like, you know. There's a difference over random pile of sticks, and this did not look random. What Ooh. it, you know, what it did. Something. I mean, I, I have something no idea had what manipulated it, what it that. Right. Yeah. Something right. had it, manipulated it, it them. Went, yeah. It went from a random pile of sticks to something that didn't look random. So. Yeah, there was some was, sort of uh, geometric. Uh, I don't know how to explain it, but these yeah, were set in yeah. purpose with purpose. Yeah, I don't know how to explain it. I've never seen anything like it before. It didn't look random. Yeah. 
No, it did I mean, not. It, it, was, it, was, it was interesting. I mean, it, it was, was definitely a confined... Yeah, it was definitely a confi- in a confined space, like in a rectangle. And then we, mm-hmm. you know, sticks were woven together. It was it was weird. So, yeah. and, and the, yeah, one, that, the most the most disconcerting thing to me was that, uh, for some reason, I know that my tent does not provide me any protection. Um, but it's kind of like a little kid when you can shut your eyes and close out the, you know, close out the monster under the bed. I mean, if right. I being inside your tent, at least you don't see what's going on on the outside of the tent sometimes. But the idea that the idea that I could be laying there and something could open my zipper up and reach in was a little, was like a wake up, like oh yeah, that, and, and that to me shows a little bit of intelligence too. I mean, I know raccoons can manipulate things too, so I mean, it's not like it's not rocket well, science. Well, this is the but, thing. This is the thing for me, is that. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I'm not calling it Sasquatch, but uh, I knew I left my 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 tent closed, and uh, mm-hmm. there was no mud or moisture on there. And you get back, and it's open, so something was watching us. I mean, you or, or knew that we had left. Yeah, you know, whether it's human or Sasquatch or uh, a raccoon, I don't know. But something. Yeah, something well, was, I, I can tell you, it wouldn't it, have been a raccoon because of how high up your zipper was unzipped. I, well, I, agree. I mean, it wasn't just, like you know, yeah. yeah. For the I'm sake of argument. Yeah, yeah, for the sake of argument, you know, uh, I didn't see what what did this, but but right. it was just I was like, wow. I mean, we left camp and came back, and we have two different campsites with some very high strangeness oh. going on. There's another thing that I forgot to mention in that picture um, at the camp that Gunner was at with Greg and Rhett. They're very specific. They're, they're Rhett and Greg are very specific on how they set up the tent. They they are they the campground. Um, for instance, the the chairs they they put the covers of the chairs underneath uh, on a little shelf thing on their chairs. Their water uh, they brought a five gallon water uh, bucket with a spigot and put it between two rocks. Showed me he showed me the picture of the chairs before they left and the picture of the chairs after they left and also the bucket. The the one of the covers was was pulled out from its the shelf and put on or left on the ground. The bucket, now this is where, where my metrology came in. He goes, take a look at the bucket. The spigot was rotated approximately 60 degrees. I measured it myself. It was tur- picked up and turned 60 degrees. Well, you know, So something with hands had to have done that, which goes to, to argue the fact about the sticks being manipulated in some geometric pattern, which I don't, I don't know why somebody would actually do that, but there you go. Yeah, those, it was, are, those it was are some that, that was some more... And, and the other thing that was, and I always like the more, you know, collaborating or uh, corroborating evidence, the better. And both uh, during that that uh, weekend, both Shane and I heard uh, what would be best described as wood knocks from coming from two different locations within, like the same, you know, within a time a short time frame. So I agree. I heard those too. Yeah. So and, and Shane actually recorded um, the wood knocks. Mm-hmm. Or I did. And, yeah. And I, I used yeah. I, I used the term wood knock, and I don't know because we 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 yeah we debate whether or not that is actually what you know they, they get. It could be a wood knock with uh, or a mouth pop too. There's whatever. A, yeah. The next we morning, when Shane and I um, were picking up our yeah. gear, I heard mouth pops down where my truck was parked across from the camp that you were at, Gunner. Um, real mm-hmm. close to me, and this isn't the first time we've had stuff happen to us 
you know, while they're uh, in close proximity. Uh, Shane and I have had knocks on us while we were waiting for you. Uh, they weren't that far away. Or when I got when I had a bark, uh, some sort of weird bark call come out straight at me. Uh, and, mm-hmm. and you guys heard that at the camp, you know. So there are some things that are happening out there. Yeah, I mean, we have, and that's the reason what, that we have chosen, you know, and it keeps us coming back is because um, not to, you know, uh, we have a high frequency of, of unexplainable activity. And the, yes. uh, everything from, like, that, that, was, that was actually this year that, that uh, there was a group out, and Shane, both Shane and, and you, Larry, were out there. Um, I wasn't out there at that time. When when that and that was uh, that one really got me thinking. It happened about three o'clock in the afternoon, and there was um, what got was described as a bark, um, but just the um, it was whatever it was it was loud enough to travel, you know, three hundred yards away to back to camp where where um, Retman and Tanya were sitting, and they both heard it, and then. Um, Shane was off in another direction, didn't hear it, but had had a, a dog with him, and the dog reacted to the the quote unquote bark and tucked its tail. You know, acted like and everybody that I've mentioned that that uh, the Logan's response to the dog um, that everybody has said that indicated a, that a apex predator was in the area that he was reacting to that. So, and it, uh, he, I, I've been out there with him, you know, on several occasions, being out there with us, and I've never seen him act uh, cower like that. You know, he's usually running around like a goofy teenager. But right. that, uh, in that case, you know, I guess not, not the first time we've had a dog out there either. I mean, uh, the experience that no, no. Larry and I had with the whistles was it's that was another strange event to me, um, the way his dog reacted, and we. I don't know how many hours out in the field with Cody, uh, Larry's dog, and the dog reacted to uh, two distinct whistles at 11.38 at night, uh, about a minute apart, that were very strange in nature. They sounded human-like, but yet kind of coarse. But the dog went after him. Right, Larry? No, he took off. We barely, it was like we barely got it back. Uh, that was crazy. Twice. It was like they called him. I can't, you know, the whistle was so, uh, just, it wasn't very far from us the first time. It was, what do you think, 30 yards? I mean, he was, that dog was gone. I mean, that fast. Yeah. Yeah, and it was complete silence, and these whistles came out of, you know, just, you know, the middle of the night, you know, and it was just, it was odd, you know. Uh, Did I see Sasquatch whistle? No, but the way the dog reacted you know, cause there, there was birds during the day, and they whistle and they do their thing. And dog, dogs have very well experienced, you know, now uh, out outdoors dog. And those whistles, I mean, for some reason, he went after uh, those two distinct whistles both times, and we had to call him back. Yeah, that was that was something else. But uh, he just he instantly reacted. And this dog is not a slow dog either. He's a border collie. He took <laughs> off like a rocket. Like a and rocket. he's a pretty. Uh, the interesting thing is, he's a pretty disciplined dog. I mean, I've he's he's been around camp a lot, and I, I've never seen him just dart off after you know, anything else. But that and um, you know, after that, subsequent in a subsequent trip, 
is when I had a whistle out in front of me, and we also had um, Cody was with us that time. I'm not sure. That's right. And um, at that time, I don't think he he took off. Maybe he didn't hear it. He was because he was back in camp. But yeah, we definitely have had all all kinds of weird stuff. Um, and last winter, uh, when when uh, you and I, what was your you know. You call it Jurassic Park night, and uh, yeah, that, that was uh, crazy. And uh, and I'd never seen you react the way that you reacted that night. So why don't you tell your version of that? I've told mine a couple times, but all right. Well, what we did is I wanted to conduct experiment an experiment with audio with us just going to the area, dropping our, all of our audio equipment, and leaving. In the winter, there's nobody up there, but I just wanted to see what it would what we'd pick up without any human activity around. So Gunnar and I made arrangements to meet, and we had kind of a quick dinner. And uh, we decided that I had this parabolic mic I wanted to set up and what we this trail up to the east of where we camp. It's not too far, but we've never ventured up that trail at night before and all the time we've been going up. So, you know, we went up there, um, got a kind of in the general area where I thought would be a good spot. And so we walk into the woods a little bit to secure it to a tree. And both of us heard a whistle coming from uh, kind of due southwest. Wouldn't you think that's which way it was, Gar? Well, I'm going to, I'll correct you because I think we, as we were going up the trail, actually, I heard a whistle and then you heard a whistle. Okay. I mean, I, we heard anyway, uh, two separate whistles coming from two two distinctly different, different directions. Right. right. And the last whistle we heard was while I was setting up the, uh, or just finishing setting up the parabolic, it was coming from uh, southeast. And so we're like yeah. going, wow, that's pretty weird. So we walked off the trail, and we were hearing this weird for lack of a better term, it sounded like someone was driving around or walking around with a boombox. Real ultra-low frequency, very powerful. And was like, well, let's just go dark for a minute. So we turned off our flashlights, our headlamps, and stood there on the trail. Um, it wasn't too long before I realized that this boombox sound was coming down the trail, advancing to us. And I kept on, and Gunner's going, what is that? He's trying to figure out what it is, and I'm not feeling very good about what the situation. I've got my my hand on my 45. i I'm telling Gunner, we need to leave now. We need to go. And so he finally agreed. And as we're moving down the trail, um, and there's a, a, when you get down the trail, there's another trail that's coming from the, uh, basically from the south, that joins into this trail, and that boombox sound not only was behind us, but was also coming up from the south, advancing towards us. We were being flanked. So we ran across the street, and I set my other recorder up in this area that we always set it at, and um, these boombox sounds, very low frequency, very powerful. You can actually feel them. At least I did. I don't know if Gunner did, but I didn't like the situation at all, so I started beeping my alarm on my truck, similar to the bad night I experienced before, and basically said, we're not walking around here uh, setting any more recorders. We're going to drive. So with this recorder going, 
we drove and set all of our other recorders, and then we left for the night. Well, advanced two days, you know, I'm analyzing this uh, recorder that we set up, and I got this stuff. The frequency is real low, very powerful in amplitude. I sent that off to David Ellis, and he, he's pretty much, uh, his, he said, boy, that's a head scratcher. He's never heard anything like it. In this audio, along with the this ultra-low uh, frequency um, that's really powerful in amplitude, is also a couple of uh, calls. Uh, I burned a CD and gave that to Shane, and we played it in, in my truck. It's pretty compelling. Yeah. It's just weird. It's just strange. I've never, I personally never heard anything like that. Uh, I have no explanation for it, what it was. Uh, yeah, it was highly, uh, highly strange, man. I'll tell you that. Yeah, well, that was four to ten on my single mirror. It's yeah. funny because the two different perspectives of that is, and Larry's hunter, you know, uh, instinct kicked in, and I, I. I don't consider myself a great outdoorsman, and and my brain was it was totally like, what the hell is that, and what else could what what would be making that noise, and what 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 follows two grown men in the woods at night, and follows you all the way back, you know, because we we were up a trail and we we went all the way back to camp and no and it it's funny because Derek Randall's talks about how he believes that that uh, Bigfoot Sasquatch knows how far away to stay to, to be out of sight. And, I I mean, I was looking up the trail, you know, looking back up the trail, and the, to me the sound, I never really felt the sound the way Larry describes it, but it was very, like, uh, disconcerting to me that something uh, would would follow you and, you know, all the way back to camp. And we, we actually stopped, did stop in camp and deploy another recorder, and while we were doing so, heard the sound like a directly across the there's a creek there a, a directly across the the creek from us and then as we went back to walk back to where we were parked we continued to hear it and it was i mean it was it was weird one of the weirdest um experiences and it's cool that we got some of it on recording because i would uh it and i didn't hear any uh, so you're saying there was also some other vocalizations on there besides the the I describe it as a thump, but yes, we did have some other. There was another vocalization. I can't remember exactly if it was a a whoop or. or you remember what it was, Shane? Uh, not offhand. There was another. Uh, I don't know if it was a whoop or a bark. I don't remember offhand, but there was another vocalization in there. Um, <clears throat> I, I, I want to say that it was more of a bark. And maybe, Larry, down the road here, we can get you back on. Uh, and we can play some of this audio uh, for our guests that are listening because, uh, you know, we're just describing some of the vocals heard. And, unfortunately, for our guests out there, they just have to listen to us. But maybe we can get you back on and we can play some of this audio and we can walk people through it. Uh, and some of the, yeah. You know, we I do believe we have some rather interesting audio, uh, a lot of it. Um I kind of wanted to switch gears here a little bit, Larry, and ask you, uh, you know, when when I came out to this area, I, I was like, Gunner, I said, there's no way Sasquatch is out here, Bigfoot could possibly be coming in this area as well. My opinion was flipped over completely uh, due, some, due to some of my personal experiences and due, due to 
some of my homework, which included researching the area extensively, um, going back as far as I could. And it historically, the value there, uh, historically, I mean, with the amount of encounters, reports, uh, sightings, is pretty phenomenal. And there, there's even a couple of recent ones um, that are very compelling. Of course, you know, it's, it's, they're, they're, they're anecdotal, they're, they're stories and, and whatnot, and, and some of them are passed down through generations. But still, an area that has had uh, supposed a lot of activity, um, why do you think, Larry, Sasquatch would inhabit an area like this? Can you, uh, you know, as a hunter, you know, you know where to uh, go hunt for bear, elk, or deer. Why would Sasquatch be in this area? What, why? How could they sustain themselves? It's got everything in the area, um, in the general uh, area. Uh, as you're well aware, uh, I pretty much showed you where what I call the meat locker is the elk that uh, frequent the area or live in the area is probably as a crow flies no more than two miles away. Various herds of deer inside this area here, it's uh, geographically and topography, the topography of the area is a step and a bowl. I believe that why they stand there is because it's a microclimate of sorts. It does, it Like during the summer, it stays cool in there. It's um, at approximately, you know, it's it's not more than 2,000 feet in elevation, but they stay in this particular area because there's the food sources are year-round. You've got rabbits, you've got the uh, ground beavers, if you will, um, deer, elk, um, wild uh, foods all the time. Um, there's a high amount of berries that are coming online right now that, that – uh, some online different parts of the summer. We've got uh, the mushroom, uh, the fauna in the area, you know, wild uh, lettuce, um, uh, camas, um, camas uh, roots, uh, uh, hostas, all, um, all sorts of other uh, food sources in this area. I really don't think you have to go that far. The other thing I yeah, think is that they, they have to go far for food. Um, you know, that. For what we do, it's like the the, uh, the one night the gunner came out there where we heard this actually going on for two hours. They covered six miles or more in less than two hours, which would take us all day in this terrain, if not another part of the day. It's just something that uh, I think the topography of the area lends itself to why they're hanging out here. I've only heard of one instance where there was a bear in the area, but it wasn't there long. All the rest of the time, I don't think apex predators even hang out in this area. Uh, I guess maybe for good reason. You know, they're being pushed out by big guys. But uh, I see deer. We see deer in there all the time, um, and plenty of elk sign everywhere around there. So there, I think there's yeah. enough to sustain them. And oh, and the yeah. multi- multitude of water sources there, year-round water sources. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in a bit of a pocket because you have all these major rivers around us, all mm-hmm. these um, uh, streams that parallel uh, and, and feed into these major rivers. And then, you know, um, Saddle Mountain, you got the Trask River, Wilson River, Miami, Kilches, uh, New Haleem's not too far away. You have uh, in the coastal line, and then just the uh, sheer amount of uh, natural fauna um, ungulates out in this area. It's phenomenal. 
And it makes sense that, you know, for for uh, something like Sasquatch to be in these areas, whether they're hunting or just trying to feed themselves, uh, don't you know, the one thing that doesn't make sense is some of these areas do have high traffic as far as humans are involved. But then, and, but then again, I don't believe they hang out necessarily in all these areas. They just come in, uh, you know, to... Uh, to do their thing and, and feed themselves and, and hunt or, or in scavenge. So, but uh, the area historically is pretty phenomenal. After I had done some research on this this area uh, and talked to other people, I was pretty blown away personally. Yeah. Well, one of the things that went the first night that I was up there with Larry and we heard the crescendo night, uh, you know, it's like, why, what, what did we just hear and what were they, what were they doing? Um, and, we we theorize or we hypothesize that um, but it was interesting. The immediate two nights before that, we'd had some pretty extreme weather with thunder and lightning, and um, and that's I mean our best hypothesis was that we heard them hunting, um, and that the, at the end maybe they had caught you know they pushed pushed some some uh, prey into a choke point and they had caught it at the end, and that's what we heard you know. Uh, at the fair, at, at the during the crescendo, don't know that to be a fact, but it was it was like why why would I, I you know I think I think they're animals and they do things with a purpose. I don't think they just run randomly through the woods and they be hollering for fun. So I right that, that what we came up with. We, that course, was we the impression I I had too is that once they set crescendo, if you will, I I feel that there was no less than four subjects there based off the calls that we were hearing and then if you if the folks are listening if you can imagine four individuals doing this heightened whooping sound in this excited at the end and then in the middle of this in the middle of them there's four individuals just going nuts with these whooping sounds and stuff you get this and it's done <laughs> It's over. It almost sounded like the the guy goes, "Okay, we got it. Hand me the liver." That's my interpretation <laughs> of what happened. <laughs> and then going, well, going, going, yeah, yeah, yeah. We just stopped and looked at each other, like, "What the hell?" It was. I mean, it was, it was pretty incredible. Well, we're just about running out of out of uh, show time, Lair. We uh, we appreciate you coming on and sharing your your. Uh, experience with us. I mean, it, you've had some pretty cool yeah. stuff and I always, you know, I, I have a huge respect for your knowledge of outdoors and, and, uh, and, um, you know, I, I, I enjoy talking to you about, um, what, like the, what Shane brings up, why would they be in this area? You know, what, what, uh, what would attract them to an area that, that doesn't seem like it, at first glance, would be something that an area where you, you would find an animal that is as stealthy and tries to avoid man as uh, they, they seem to. So, um, so again, I like I, I'd like to thank you for coming on and, and sharing with us. And uh, like Shane said, we'll have to have you come back on, and we'll we'll uh, get get uh, some of the recordings those because we've got some pretty cool stuff so yeah, thank you my friend we'll uh, we'll see you up in the woods soon 
And uh, for uh, anybody in the Portland area, that uh, in July, the July Hopsquatch is uh, Shane and I are going to be hosting uh, a town hall type event uh, where people can come and share their encounters. And uh, if you have, have are from the you know close to the Portland area, or or you just want to fly in for the event, of course that'd be awesome. But uh, we're putting together, uh, we're inviting all our friends and and uh, acquaintances that that have had to come and share their Bigfoot stories uh, at at the Monster X version of uh, Hopsquatch in July. And that'll be the third Sunday um, of July. Shane, do you have that date handy? I think it's the 17th. I, I believe it's July 18th. Okay, thank you. So this the third Sunday of July, Shane and I will be uh, hosting Hopsquatch in Portland. Guy Edwards... Uh, Let's keep that on the down low because he just, you know, he's going to be out of town, and we we thought we'd take over. But, uh, <laughs> but please, please, please join us uh, if you can, and uh, um, I'm sure we'll get we'll uh, twist Larry's arm and get him to share his stories at at the uh, at the Hopsquatch. Uh, it's going to be an epic event, and uh, we look forward to uh, next week on Monster X. We've got Charlie Raymond. Um, from Kentucky, who's going to to join us, uh, and uh, in the future we're going to be doing some uh, live from events. Uh, we're planning on getting together with Mark Marcel to go uh, check out the the site of the uh, Innate Cannon, where the you know the famous uh, miners' uh, cabin being attacked. Well, Mark actually took it upon himself to go out and find the location, and Shane and I uh, have been invited to go, and we we are stoked to go and do a live from 8th Canyon event. Mm-hmm. We've got some other events, live from events uh, scheduled plan, in the plans, and uh, we uh, look forward to sharing those with you. So thanks again, Larry, for coming on and, and uh, sharing your, your encounters with us and your expertise. We uh, love being out in the field with you and uh, look forward to being out there again soon. And uh, Shane, thanks, buddy. Have a great week. And everybody, thank you for listening to Mr. X. We will uh, catch you next Sunday. Thanks so much.